About that time, John the Baptist appeared as a preacher in the Judean wilderness. His theme was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is upon you. It is of him that the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, A voice crying aloud in the wilderness, Prepare a way for the Lord, clear a straight path for him. John's clothing was a rough coat of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. They flocked to him from Jerusalem, from all Judea, and the whole Jordan Valley, and were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You vipers brood, who warned you to escape from the coming retribution? Then prove your repentance by the fruit it bears, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. I tell you that God can make children for Abraham out of these stones here, Already the axe is laid to the roots of the tree, and every tree that fails to produce good fruit is cut down and thrown on the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who comes after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to take off his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His shovel is ready in his hand, and he will winnow his threshing floor. The wheat he will gather into his granary, but he will burn the chaff on a fire that can never go out. Thanks be to God. You don't have to work in a school for too long before you are aware of situations where you have to talk to young people about the fact that they have done something or said something that was wrong. Uh, And there's a lot of foot shuffling. And what you're wanting to hear is the word sorry. And there needs to be some feeling to it. Of course, we we can all tell when somebody says sorry when they're not really sorry at all. Sorry kind of slightly grudgingly. Um, They've been forced into saying it. They know that it is what you want to hear from them. It seems to be the quickest way for them to get out of the uncomfortable situation that they're in. So it's kind of, sorry. Do they mean it? Do they mean it? Is it regret, actual regret, for something that they have done or said that is actually going through their minds? Um, Just occasionally... At Kent College, we have pupils who do and say and share things on social media that they shouldn't do or say or share. And then their parents didn't know that they did or said or shared that either. And then they really are sorry or embarrassed or shamefaced or whatever. Take it one step back. Sometimes you have to wait for somebody who has done something wrong, who knows that it was wrong. You have to wait for them to come forward and admit it. Yes, I was the person mucking around in the locker room and accidentally tripped over somebody's violin case and broke it. That's not a real case at all. (laughs) But let's not think that as adults, our behavior is any better, 
any better because you see exactly the same thing happening in the adult world. And I am betting that each one of you has some politician or business person running through your mind at the moment. Somebody who seems incapable of saying the word sorry and meaning it. It's always easy to think about somebody else, isn't it? When you look at people who you think should say sorry, always easy to think of somebody else and go, oh, they're terrible. What about us? What about the words that we say, the things that we do? We live in a world that doesn't like, I don't think, the idea of repentance, the idea of us having to say that there are things and there are things inside of us that make us go wrong time and time and time again. But John the Baptist has something different to say. We're going to sing hymn number 182 on Jordan's bank, The Baptist's Cry. We're going to have one or two pictures, I think, are going to appear. You haven't? We have a second. Um, one of the things that I did a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching here was that I put a photograph, I, I went outside into the car park, took photographs of St. Peter's, and put it up on Facebook and said, preaching at St. Peter's Methodist Church this morning. And um, who should uh, reply to that um, piece on Facebook but the president of the Methodist Conference? <laughs> Ooh. And she said, my home, she said. Because uh, some of you won't know. I don't, uh, well, I think we've said it in church before, but some of you won't know that um, Barbara Glasson, who is president of the Methodist Conference, who, um, who of course, with her maiden name, um, uh, worshipped here. Uh, she was born in Tenterton and then came to Girls Langton and was part of the youth fellowship group here. Uh, so the butlers have taught her all that she knows um, about life and worship and faith. And it was lovely. When she came to open the Great Hall at Kent College, it was lovely to watch her face light up as she walked down and around and into Canterbury because um, it was renewing a friendship with a town that she hadn't uh, known for some time. And she actually met up with a friend in the town that she hadn't seen in 40 years uh, and had a um, cup of tea with her, which is lovely. This is a picture of some roots. John doesn't just talk about repentance. He talks about trees and their roots. And he talks about axes, I'm afraid. But he says, your roots need to be really, really strong. This is a picture of roots. I can't tell whether they are strong roots or not. They look pretty good to me. Uh, any of you who have tried to dig out a particularly kind of difficult weeds from the garden will know that you've got to get the entire root or it just comes back again because those roots are strong and they are full of life and they will pop up anywhere. Roots. Can we have the next picture, please? 
We have people around the world, around the country, who are very into this. I don't know whether there's anybody here today who is really into working out what their family tree is. We've shown a video in um, school collective worship before now, which uh, shows somebody, a group of people actually, who are, uh, give up a, a DNA sample and uh, they are told where their roots come from and they are kind of completely bemused and excited and sometimes shocked to hear that their rootage comes from all over the world even though they thought they were nothing but British. They suddenly realized that they actually came from um, probably the Middle East or, or from um, uh, Northern Africa or whatever and they thought that they knew where they were, who they, what their rootage was and in fact they don't. But there's a huge interest in um, family trees at the moment. If we have the next picture. And of course you have picture, uh, programs like Who Do You Think You Are? I um, well remember Michael Parkinson being interviewed and he said, you know, the researchers from Who Do You Think You Are came to me and said, oh, we, we'd like you to be on the program. And then they dug into his family tree and they realized it was so boring they couldn't make a program of it. <laughs> Uh, they says, so they said, no, we, sorry, we're not going to do you for a program. We need somebody else who's got something more dramatic to talk about, which was a bit of a shame for him. Um, but who do you think you are? I wonder sometimes, I wonder what our motivations are. I wonder what motivates people to want to know where they come from or where their family history lies. Sometimes I think there are some people who think, oh, well, perhaps, just perhaps, I'm going to find somebody famous in my family tree or um, somebody deeply romantic, you know, somebody who served in the courts of Louis XIV or something, or somebody who was um, a shoemaker in London in the 16th century, or something that brings a little bit of colour to the family, and they want that. They want, they want that sense that there's something romantic or famous in their backgrounds. Other people, I think sometimes it, it's an exercise in trying to find out who we are. And saying, somehow, if I find out where I've come from, somehow I will know better who I am now. I think there's a possibility in that, but I think also that can sometimes be quite a wrong-headed assumption. I don't think necessarily finding out where we come from tells us very much about who we are now and the things that have made us us. But it is an interesting journey. Go to the next slide, please. John says, um, it's actually, it's all about fruit. He must be talking about fruit trees in particular. That looks nice and juicy, doesn't it? Um, he says it's about fruit. He says, uh, if the tree is bearing poor fruit, and of course he's talking about our lives, if your life is bearing poor fruit, take an axe to the root of that tree and just chop it down, because it's going nowhere. He says, what you need to have from your tree, from the tree of your life, is good fruit. It's about this time of year that the Christmas cards start coming in. And I guess you, as well as we, get lots and lots of round, rob what we call round robin letters. People from around the country telling us what's been going on in their lives this year. About three or four years ago, there were a lot of people in the press who kind of berated round-robin letters and people who were a bit grumpy said, oh, no, we can't stand them. Why do we want to know about this and that and the other? I quite like the round-robins that we get. I don't know about you, but I like reading about what people's lives have shown in the past year. 
but sometimes they're very short letters. And I sometimes want to try and read between the lines because I assume more must have happened in that person's life. There must have been more fruit in their life than what they're telling us this time round. Two weeks ago, um, I asked you to pray for various situations at Kent College. We had two deaths in the school within very short succession. And I did a funeral visit for one of those um, children uh, yesterday. A 17-year-old boy who was born with severe brain injury. Um, Accidents took place at his birth. Uh, For 17 years, he's not been able to speak, he's not been able to communicate, he's not been able to express, really, what he was thinking or feeling or wanting to do. But his parents were saying to me yesterday, the, the impact, the fruit of his life has been absolutely enormous. Because he was born of a generation, it's, he's one of the first generation of people with that kind of severity of disability, which has really tested doctors to the utmost of their ability. And there are doctors, more than one, five, six, seven or eight doctors have written to the family and have said, this boy's life has transformed what we do and will bear fruit for years to come in terms of how we treat people and the things that we do and the way that we treat things. Now, I don't want to get into a debate about the causality of all of this or what God does and doesn't do, but what I do know is this. The fruit of that boy's life, which would ass- you could assume to be very little, has actually been absolutely enormous because of what's been achieved from his life. So I guess the question is, from John to us this morning, down the years, is this. What's the fruit of your life going to be? What do you do? How do you grow? What what will people feel about the fruit of your life? Make sure that the fruit of your life is good and it, your life bears fantastic fruit because that's the way that the world gets changed.